want to invite at this time before, I think it's uh, Stacy coming up. Jessica and Taylor, Taylor and Jessica, they're going to give us an update uh, for our legacy fund and uh, how far we've gotten and they have some stats. So let's give it up for Taylor and Jessica. Perfect, thank you. All right, we're going to talk about new things and money. So turn to the person on your right and say we're talking about money. And now turn to the person on your left and give them a huge high five because we're talking about money. All right, so I'm Jessica, this is Taylor. Um, I serve in women's ministry and outreach and here we go. Maybe you stand that far away and that's okay. We're attached. Okay. Um, but we're going to talk about a few things today, and one of the things that we're going to talk about is our building and our building um, fund. And before we do that, I think it's really crucial that we talk and we go back to the why, because I should recap, we have a few, actually more than a few new faces here, and we kicked off April 25th with our giving fund of 300000 that we were believing for and praying for that would come, um, come this year. And so now that we're 19 days out from the end of the year, we just wanted to give one last update. I'm praying that this is the last update, but one last update on um, kind of where we're at and what we need. So before we do that, um, the why. We are growing and God has a green light for us. So I wanted to give a quick church health because in HR, I love to know the health of a company. Church health is huge. Members, we have 243 members right now. Over 50 members have joined in 2021. Woo! Yes, yes, 80 families. So that represents 80 families. And the really neat part is seven families make up three generations that are currently going here to harvest. That's huge. My littlest generation's loud. Um, Here's some other fun facts. We have, right now, from newborn to 18 years old, we have 98 kids. 98 kids. So this is where we go snaps and applause for Katie and Kim for, and our gratitude for them and all that they're doing and pouring. But that's not counting the youth that we have coming in on Wednesday nights. So for youth group, we have a ton of youth coming that are not members or their parents aren't here at church. And last but not least on the why, I go back to functional space. Taylor was coaching me not to say functionable because my whole life I've been saying functionable, and that is not a word, but functional no space. B. Like we have space here, but does it really work with the growing number of people, with how we're leading different groups, how we're bringing small groups, big groups here to church, even just bumping shoulder to shoulder out in the foyer as we're getting ready and grabbing our coffee before church. What I believe is we have really functional, ooh, functional, functional space that's coming. So Taylor, the numbers guy is gonna go through some numbers. So if we could pull up the, the slide. So we went over this slide that will be coming up hopefully um, eight months ago when we, when we kicked everything off. Do we have it back there? We're working on it. Otherwise you can go through those. <clears throat> yeah. This is tough. I don't want to move that though. Curtis will get after me. I'll stay over here. <clears throat> there we go. So this is the, the numbers behind everything. So when we kicked it off this spring, we had a, a total build cost of about $2 million. Um, that does not include that, the land that was donated to us back in 2009, which uh, you can see the appraised value there. Um, so the thought behind this is, you can look right down to the bottom, is we wanted our projected payment to be what our monthly rent payment is currently. It just put us in a really good position. Obviously, we've seen great growth over the last two years, really. Um, but 
just to put ourselves in a, in a great position and moving forward so that we can, we can do great things as a church, we wanted to position ourselves so that our, our payment was going to be the same. So a little bit of history on the, on the legacy fund, $600,000 was saved over the past uh, 18 years uh, to come up with that 600000 Out of the, the legacy fund, there's been over 150 total givers into that since its inception in 2003. And what's amazing, this year alone, out of the $276,000 that has been raised, there's been 83 families, individuals, or organizations that have, that have given into that. So over half the people uh, this year, uh, or that makes up the total amount of, of the legacy people that have been given. So I think that's amazing that, that we've had 83 people that have, that have given into that this year, and, and Lord willing, more. Um, so the goal loan amount, and the reason, the reason being that, that 1.1 million is, again, that's, it puts our, our loan payment right where we're at with, uh, with our current rent payment. Um, you know, building costs have went up slightly this, this year, and, and luckily we've had, um, well, we've had some delays. Um, I'm not going to tell you exactly when we had forecasted that we'd be in here, because you'd probably put my head on a stick. Um, but... We are moving forward, and and it's uh, and we've really been blessed, uh, and we'll get into some of the other numbers later. But the 276,000 that has came in is has been amazing. So thank you. That's that's we obviously are moving forward, and it's because of everyone in this room and and a part of this community too. There's been some outside givers, so thank you. Yep. So that he's gone through numbers. I'm going to say some of the same things, but in a non-numbers way because I'm a non-numbers person. So in our new building with functional space. We have anywhere on a Sunday here in this building, we have anywhere from 200 to maybe 250 coming in, 250, 200 to 250 people coming in the doors. On Wednesdays, with youth and with lead, we have anywhere from 100 to maybe even 110 people coming in the doors. That's huge. We just have space now in our new building to make sure that we can all be comfortable. And, and, and you know that first group of lead, like we're sitting real close together in that room, which is great. We like to be close, but space is good. So I talk about alignment. So Taylor talked about numbers. I keep going back to alignment. I believe alignment started with the go-ahead from God. He says build, and here's what I mean by that. Land was donated. We had a start, and we have an amazing, I think, kind of conservative building. Like, we didn't go build a grand Taj Mahal. We built something that really works. And again, I keep saying the word, it's functional. And then we, we viewed that um, we had an amazing start, 600,000 as our start. So lastly, that's where we decided to do one launch, one big campaign to buy down our loan. And I had to have Taylor explain buying down our loan to me a few, six or seven times before I could felt comfortable saying that. And by buying down our loan, that means that we're gonna take what we've raised and pull and put that right back to the bank and say thank you, but no thanks. And that way we get our rent or excuse me, our new mortgage number down lower, right? Mm -hmm. Thank you. Okay. So I'm going to go kind of how I was feeling at the start of this in April. So in April, the trustees, and I remember Pastor Mike and Rhonda saying, all right, we have our goal. It's 300000 And I'm not even going to get up here and say a lie because that you can't absolutely can't lie on the, uh, on the pulpit. So I can't lie that I didn't, um, or that I wasn't skeptical. I was like, 300000 in my head, I was like, that's huge. And I couldn't relate. Um, I couldn't really relate because anything I've ever done with a big goal has been in work. And if you guys are like me, in, in any work setting, you push, you move, and you like maneuver that work goal to come to fruition. Because that's all I knew how to do. I know how to push things and like make them happen. 
and then I had a moment with God in some quiet time that says, dear daughter, he said something, and I'm going to make it sound probably better than what I maybe came in my head, but he, he said, dear daughter, like, did you ever think that we get to do this goal together? And I never really thought of it that way. See, in work, I didn't say, God, help me lose less people or let's make payroll budget a little better. I mean, I know he was with me in helping that, but I never really put him first as we get to do this together. We can work smarter, not harder, but we can work together. And I say that because that was a true flip for me. That was a switch for me because each Tuesday when we come to staff, we've been met with, a, with, with money coming in. So I was skeptical. I'm like, do you think they're going to give? Do you think we're going to get close? I'm like, Taylor, 300 is huge. Like, that's a huge number. And I stand here in December 12th, and we have made, um, we've almost made our goal. But the neat part is, is each Tuesday, money has come in that we get to announce the next Sunday. And the threshold for money to come in has been what? Anybody? $1,000. That's huge. So I'm going to stop rambling now. And I think further evidence of this and just how the Lord's been with us this whole time is the tithe revenue. Oh, yeah. The tithe revenue has went up 16% compared Woo! to last year. And last year was an amazing year. And that was, I think, almost 16% above the previous year. Woo! I mean, so it's no just way. amazing uh, what the Lord has done and, and how he's blessed, blessed this church. And, and we're just so excited how he's going to continue to bless and multiply uh, this area. Yep. So last, I'll be honest, my, now my curiosity is not how we're going to get to 300000 I've That's long gone. The evidence that God has shown me of time and time again of money being poured in. So, so it's not how, now it's when. Because the how is going to happen, I think, in our obedience. It's going to happen in a work in our hearts. And it's going to happen when we leave here and we go home to the dinner table, or as we call it, the lunch table. And we're going to talk about this in our office or when we're putting our kids to bed. It's in our obedience and God's voice and direction to us that we're going to get to 300000 So as Taylor and I discussed our last push, the last push amount, as we're calling this, in this Christmas season, I can't help but start thinking, how do we do this before the end of the year? And I'm believing in that, and I'll ask that you guys partner in prayer with me on believing that as well. So will you partner with God first and solely, and then ask yourself or your family, your friends, or even your business, what do you want to give yet this year to reach 24000 for our $300,000 goal? And then, um, as it was announced during um, the announcements there, Tomorrow at 6 to 7, Mike and Rhonda and Jackie will be, will be leading us around in, in a tour of the new facility. Um, I've been out there by myself, but I think it would be a great opportunity to come out with, with those three because they've had you know, the design and what type of tiles going here and what are we putting down for backsplash, all that good stuff. Um, so come out from, from 6 to 7. I think it would be a great opportunity to um, have a lot of that stuff explained. The, the carpet squares have been going in back in the children's area. So, I mean, we're getting, we're getting fairly close to, to getting in there this spring. So thank you guys just for your obedience and, and, and your uh, consideration of this and, and just for all that has been given so far. So, but let me just uh, close us down in prayer here. Lord, thank you for the, the people here and just for your vision for Harvest and, and the growth that we have um, and that we've experienced already. And we're just so excited to, to step into the new chapter this spring and um, where that's going to lead. We're just, we're just occupying land for you, Lord. And, and we're so excited to, to see uh, the fruits of that in the, in the years to come and for our children's children. And uh, thank you for being with us uh, a part of the way or the whole way. And we're just, 
We just give you all the glory, Lord, and, and we thank you. Lord, uh, continue to be with us during this service, and we thank you for your presence. Amen. Good morning, church. My name is Stacey Dagan, part of guest services, and before you start that countdown clock, I want to, uh, <laughs> my time has not started. Um, I'm also the life group coordinator, and we had 25 people in um, room one this morning. There are going to be some awesome, awesome life groups coming out for, uh, we call it the spring, even though it starts in the winter, but Rhonda doesn't like the word winter. So <laughs> the spring life groups is starting at the end of January. So, so excited to do life with you guys. So, all right, you can start now. <laughs> um, real quickly, oh, where my, shoot. All right, so how many of you, I gotta find my message here. Believe God when he says something. Things like he will never leave you or forsake you, right? He says, I have plans for you. You believe him, right? A hope and a future. He says, I will comfort those who mourn. You believe him, right? So God says in Job 22 and 23 that when we decree a thing, it will be established. The word decree is a legal term that can mean an authoritative instruction provided by someone who has an authority or by a government, a judgment decided by a court of law. And this is not name it or claim it. God is not a genie in a lamp. But the words we speak have power and can potentially create life or death. James 3, 5 through 10 says, when we make a legal proclamation that comes from God himself, we are operating in a power that trumps all other power. I believe him. In Deuteronomy 8.18, it says, I have the ability to create wealth. I believe him in Ephesians 3.20. I named my company after Ephesians. It's called E320. He says he will achieve infinitely more than great, my greatest request, my most unbelievable dream, and exceed my wildest imaginations. I believe him. Do you believe him? For years and years, I would decree and declare financial scripture over my family, over myself, and I am living, breathing testimony over this, and I've been wanting to do this for a very long time, but I have typed up scriptural offering decrees for you, and then I took the freedom from the back of the freedom book, decrees and declarations, that you can declare as we go into 2022 over your finances, because it is a new season, it is a new era, and it is a new church building, you guys, and you are a part of that. So I want you to come in strong, um, believing that God will do, you will change the atmosphere of your life, your house, your room, when you decree and declare things. We, Rob and I do it every morning. It is a, it's a real thing, you guys. So with that being said, I, there's five ways to give. I saw in the back um, on the, uh, uh, where you sign in and out, what's that called? The information desk, thank you. Um, there, the PayPal and the Venmo, there's a little screen or a little square thing that you can, the square, you can take a picture and it'll go right there if you don't want to type it in. So genius, people are genius here. So I love it. You can, I'm still old fashioned. There's a box out there. There's a box in the back. I like to hold my check in and put it in the tithe um, box, but there are many ways that you can give. And just like Jessica and Taylor just said, it is, it's huge. And, and we are excited to, to see the blessing on, on you as people and, and on our church. So if you'll hold your tithe, um, we'll pray. Um, Robin, they're going to, um, we're going to, when I'm done praying, they're going to pass these out. So they'll just come down. And if you want one, take one. There'll be extra in the back. If you don't want one, you're not hurting my feelings at all. Um, so Father, in the name of King Jesus, we love you. We believe you at your word, and you are the word. 
Father, forgive us when we don't fully trust in you and we think we have to do it on our, on our own or that we can't do it without you. And we thank you for sending your only son to die for us, Father God. We just pray for the spirit of replenishment. We pray for the spirit of increase to be on your people. We thank you as we round out this year and we come with anticipation into the new year with what you have for us. I ask you to pray a, a blessing over your people. Just bless their socks off, God. In the name of King Jesus, we thank you. And I decree and declare, you are the head, not the tail. You are above and not beneath. And you are highly favored by God and man. Amen. Hi, church family. It's Nicole and Cass and Eva. We are here at church, and we have not gotten to see the rooms or the building since it's being painted. But guess what's in here? We'll follow Cass and Eva in here. In the sanctuary. Yes. What do you think, Eva? Good. The fans are going. The paint is drying. It is looking beautiful in here. And back out into the fellowship area. We'll be able to fit so many people in here. We will. Oh, yeah. No more bumping around on Sunday mornings. Yeah. It's going to be amazing. And we went and checked out the kids' wing, didn't we? Oh, yeah. Bye, church family. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on earth. The price for this freedom at times has been high, but we have never been unwilling to pay that price. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. You can see heroes every day going in and out of factory gates. You meet heroes across a counter, and they're on both sides of that counter. There are entrepreneurs with faith in themselves and faith in an idea who create new jobs, new wealth, and opportunity. They're individuals and families whose voluntary gifts support church, charity, culture, art, and education. Their patriotism is quiet but deep. Their values sustain our national life. We must realize that no arsenal or no weapon in the arsenals of the world is so formidable as the will and moral courage of free men and women. We are a nation under God, and I believe God intended for us to be free. The crisis we're facing today does not require of us the kind of sacrifice so many thousands of others were called upon to make. It does require, however, our best effort and our willingness to believe in ourselves and to believe in our capacity to perform great deeds, to believe that together, with God's help, we can and will resolve the problems which now confront us. And after all, why shouldn't we believe that? We are Americans.
Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Uh, I just want to thank uh, Becca for uh, putting together the, how many were at the, the Chosen video on Friday night? There's probably over 150 people here. It was a great community outreach, too, to our community. And so uh, thank you, Becca and Curtis and, and all those involved. And those who helped clean up and vacuum and all that, that was huge. So we're tremendously thankful. Uh, thank you, Taylor and Jessica. Uh, great presentation there. We're at, thank you, church, for your continued giving. And uh, I'm convinced we're going to go above and beyond what is needed because <clears throat> God is good. Amen. Um, <clears throat> so praise the Lord. Uh, well, we'll just, we should begin right here. Let me take a moment and pray and ask for God's blessing. Father, I humble myself before you and I recognize that in and of myself I have nothing good to say, but through the power of the Holy Spirit, I ask that you speak through me. Give to your people. Those that have tuned in, watching online, uh, speak to your people here today. And Lord, we declare that we have ears to hear what the Spirit of God has to say. And Satan, I, I bind all confusion and harassment over the people of God and all distraction, Lord, that we would be focused in. Lord, I pray for utterance to share uh, uh, your heart today. It's in Jesus' name I pray and all God's people said Amen. We welcome those on Facebook and Facebook and those online. And uh, I don't know what happened to our whiteout sheet here with our PowerPoint, but they're going to be able to pull that up. Um, so I'm kind of bring this to a close. The last five weeks we've been talking about our nation. We've been talking about America. Blessed is the nation. And um, uh, I just subtitled this: "A City Set on a Hill." And if anything. So I've talked a lot of history. Someone made a comment. It's like, oh, I felt like I've been in a history class. I'm not a history teacher. But uh, the stuff that I've studied, and, and it's fascinating, uh, the foundation of our nation and how uh, it's important, uh, especially a lot of the early preachers and uh, the traveling ministers brought in a lot of history in their message. It's just fascinating. So um, <clears throat> the city set on a hill, and if anything you get out of this whole series is this one thing, and I'm just going to throw this out here, and you can just hang on to this, is that freedom cannot be established without faith and morality. I want you to write that down. You know, I'm going to try to talk about that here and try to articulate that. I don't know if you guys have problems there with, uh, maybe Curtis can help with that PowerPoint. Our text has been Psalm 33, 12. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people he chose for his inheritance. Psalms 11, 3, if the foundations of a godly society are destroyed, what can the righteous do or what should the righteous do or should we be doing something? And then a text as the subtitle of my message is Matthew. Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 to 15. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses anything, or it loses its savior, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. And then it goes on to say, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people uh, light uh, a lamp and put it under a basket. Instead, they set it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. Alex, um, I, I shared about this French aristocrat, Alex de Tocqueville. Uh, he was a diplomat. He was a historian. I've quoted a, a lot from him these last few weeks. 
and uh, he wrote Democracy in America, actually two volumes when he came uh, to America and he wanted to find out what was the, what was the secret sauce? What was it about America that made America great? And, 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 and he traveled uh, over a year in this country and he wrote uh, these two volumes and he says this, and uh, he says this, and so I don't know, they're having problems back there, but we're just gonna continue on. Liberty cannot be established without morality or without faith. I want that to sink in. That is a fascinating statement for someone who wasn't even, as far as we know, a believer. Liberty cannot be established without morality nor without faith. It's what the founders had taken for granted as the, the secret center of their novel idea of self-government. It is crucial for us today as Americans, especially as Christians, that we understand where we came from and remember what it means to be an American. Can you say amen? So here's the question, and it's actually quite sobering when I read this and it's, it's, I, I pondered it. Can freedom last forever, particularly in America? Oh, well, of course, Pastor Mike, we, we live in America. I mean, America's free, you know, it's a free country. We are rapidly losing our freedom daily. I mean, like, it is not even a hidden thing. I, I, I think even, you know, as horrible as COVID has been and how demonically inspired and how it has affected in the deaths and the travesty, it has awakened Americans up. What's going on in our public schools? What's being taught? Come on. Families wondering, what, what, wait a minute. And, and we have, and I remember starting a, 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 a series called Shaken to Awaken when we were locked down and we were told that, you know, everyone in America pretty much is going to die. And for 10, 10 weeks, you know, we were, you know, broadcasting here with the empty sanctuary and I was speaking, but what came to me was that God has shaken us to awaken us, and that's where we're at today. That's where we're at today. They're saying they're having some problems with glitching there, but they're, they're working on it. So can freedom last for America? And, you know, so when I heard that, so I just dug in just a, just a little bit briefly here, briefly about democracies and how they have lost their freedom and I'm not going to read the whole thing. I'm just going to touch on really briefly here, just a, a minute, moment or two. Uh, this, this one writes, democracies become dictators in essentially three ways. By foreign conquest, internal imposition, and constitutional takeover. Foreign conquest, a dictatorship invades and conquers a democracy. Then they're ruling it directly or imposing a, a dictatorial government. The most obvious examples are World War II and Nazi Germany occupied France, Netherlands, and Belgium. Uh, internal imposition, like as a burden, there's a nuisance. This has been the fate of many, many democracies. A dissatisfied faction or a union of such dissatisfied factions overthrows democracy illegally and by use of force. Uh, Pakistan, Thailand, Haiti, Greece, the Baltic Republics, Republic of Spain, Egypt, Algeria, Lebanon, Iran, Congo, uh, Japan, way too many. It just goes on and on through that internal imposition. And it goes on to say democracy is one of the most fragile and unstable forms of government there is. thought that was interesting. And then constitutional takeover. A dictatorship takes power legally, usually with at least some democratic support, and within their constitution. 
Germany is the most famous example, uh, Chavez, uh, Ven Venezuela, and then we have Putin's uh, Russia in that. And so, so there are countries that have lost their democracies, and, and, and it would be foolish for us to think that we will always be free if we don't protect our freedoms. I don't know how to say that. Thank you. I don't know how to say that any more forceful and, and, and why I believe for such a time as this that God has us, us as church for the harvest as he continue adds to us in such a strategic season. Why in the world, you know, would you decide in the middle of a pandemic uh, or endemic or whatever, build a church and, 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 and move in that direction? How many know that God has a plan? And he is concerned about the harvest. See, you're not going to, I'm going to veer off course, you're not going to hear the gospel at the VFW. Come on, somebody. You're not going to hear it at the Elks Club, right? You're not going to hear it. You may hear someone share on the golf course, but they're looking at, you know, their tees and all that. But, but where are you going to hear and what institution, if I could say it that way, the consistent preaching and teaching of the Word of God other than the local church? It's the church. And for your kids to come and to hear and to grow up into the things of God and to be instilled with Sunday school and, and teaching. It's the local church. Can I get an amen? So can, can freedom last forever? Uh, there's a slide. I don't know if you're able to pull that up. In the spring of um, 146 BC, the Roman army advanced on Carthage in a growing economic power in North Africa. An unmatched fighting force was under the command of uh, Scipio Amelanus, and he was one of the brightest Roman generals and warriors of the age. But he argued <clears throat> that Rome should show mercy on Carthage, uh, which is modern-day Tunisia, and he believed that if Rome gave itself free reign to militarily dominate or destroy all competing nations and states, it would overreach and eventually collapse. But his counsel was overruled. And the soldiers breached the walls of Carthage, burned the magnificent city to the ground. And the losses, Carthaginians, 62,000 dead and 50,000 of its people enslaved, over 120,000 present in the city. And even Rome had 17,000 dead of 40,000 of an army. And so the point is this, that Scipio, in a moment of triumph, he began to weep. And he, he was a tremendous general, uh, a, a brilliant man, and he would have scribes around him, and he would have historians, and he always constantly tried to learn, but he began to cry. And he turned to his friend and tutor, uh, Polybus, and he said, it is a grand thing while he's weeping. He said, but I know not how. I feel a terror and a dread. At least someone should one day give the same order about my own native city. Mm. And so the so I put down the $64,000 question for us all here today would be, can freedom, particularly American freedom, last forever? Will America always be a free country? I hope to God it will. But just hoping is not enough. Amen? We got to be active. Scipio, in the moment of Rome's victory, clearly foresaw its ultimate defeat. And so the question for us today whether we or America can do anything to escape the same collapse. Now, now the, the, the founding fathers, did, they did a magnificent job creating our liberty. They, they won the revolution, right? right? Um, giving us the Constitution, an amazing document, provided an ingenious system of checks and balances. But here's the thing, and this may be you know, a bit challenging for some of you, it's not enough. The Constitution is not enough. Here's the thing. Freedom has an inevitable tendency to undermine itself. Now, why is that? Well, there's an author 
who was actually born uh, to uh, missionaries in, in China, his parents, and his name is Os Guinness. And I came across his book, his book called The Free People's Suicide. And he talks about uh, a statement in there that I, I, I want to touch on briefly here this morning. Three points in this statement. Why the Constitution, as brilliant as it is, as marvelous as it is, is not enough. You need something more than just a constitution. Uh, he writes and he said that the greatest enemy to freedom is freedom. He, go, he goes on to say, but underlining it is a profound conundrum. The greatest enemy to freedom is freedom, and that, that's the deepest reason freedom never lasts. And then he talks about how you can unpack that in various dimensions historically. He said, we must constantly work at sustaining our freedom. Which is why, although a return to the Constitution is necessary to revitalize our democracy, it's not enough. And then in his book, as I started to read, and especially this chapter on, on the golden triangle of freedom, and so I just put up his three points there, as I thought is a fascinating, and I actually never heard this before, even as I studied history. He writes about what he calls the golden triangle of freedom, freedom excuse me, which he describes as the cultivation and transmission of the conviction that freedom... Watch this, requires virtue, which requires faith, which requires freedom, which in turn requires virtue, which requires faith, which requires freedom, and so on and so on. That's the golden triangle of freedom. And that's why the key point, he says, sustainable freedom depends on the character of the rulers in the ruled alike. Did you get that? and on the vital trust between them, both of which are far more than a matter of law. You can have laws to tell people what to do, what not to do, but if the law of God is not, come on somebody, in the heart of the people, it's gonna, you're gonna just be continually building more prisons, having more police officers, come on, and we're seeing that today. The law of God, the truth of God, the moral code has been eradicated in many sense in our nation, but it's coming back. It's coming back in Jesus' name, and America is coming back. And so, the golden triangle of freedom, and this is its most basic form. You can dig into this uh, uh, and, and dig deeper, but the first point is freedom requires virtue. Freedom requires virtue. In the spring of 1787, Benjamin Franklin wrote a letter to two friends in France, and he talked about the problems of the Articles of Confederation. In his letter, he wrote, he said, only, this is Benjamin Franklin. He said, only a virtuous people are capable of freedom. Wow. A virtuous people are capable of freedom. And that was a staggering statement for a man who was not a traditional Orthodox Christian. Um, and then, so the question is like, why did he say that? Why did he write that? Benjamin Franklin is not merely saying that virtue and freedom are linked he goes far beyond that to say that one without the other is impossible. That's right. did, did you hear that? One without the other is impossible. Then, then if the point is not clear enough, he goes on to say more. He says, as nations become corrupt and vicious, he actually used that word, vicious, they have more need of masters, jails, prisons, penal call. I mean, vicious, it actually means a vice. Vicious means full of vice. We see in a lot of vice, smash and grab. You got people busting into stores, stealing stuff. People just standing and go, there's nothing we can do. No police, off, police officers retiring. This is insanity. That's the heart of the devil. That's not for our country. We're not going to have that. We're not going to stand for that. Can I get an amen? 
And so, and, and so, so he says, as nations become corrupt and vicious, they have more need of masters. And he writes, freedom requires virtue, and that less virtue, virtue inevitably begets less freedom. Second, second leg of this triangle. He goes on to say, us, virtue requires faith. This is what I thought was the most fascinating point of this triangle. Virtue requires faith. Who would add that in? Who would even say that today? Who would even mention that? You would be crushed down and argued. Faith, you know, that's all done. That's all old school. And, and, and actually, they didn't mean a state-sanctioned religion like England. They broke away from that. That's not what they're talking about. So if virtue is linked to freedom, then virtue is linked to faith and religion. Our second U.S. president, John Adams, said, second president, he said this, we have no government armed with power of contending with human passions unbridled by morality in religion. Our constitution was made for a moral and righteous people. Watch this, watch this. It is wholly inadequate to the government of any other. Wow. John Adams understood the secret to self-government was for the people to be self-governing. People cannot be self-governing to do the right thing if they don't know what the right thing is. Come on. If they don't know what right and wrong is. Amen. Moral absolutes, which now we have relativism that has so permeated a society, and they crush that. Let me just say this about college. You know, I'm for college. I'm for getting higher education and training. I've, I've worked for five years to get my doctorate in theology, uh, you know, at, at home and studied for that. And I'm for that. But let me tell you something. Young people, if you do not absolutely 100% know what you are to do, do not go to college and spend $80,000 and get reprogrammed and redoctrinated. Uh, that's crazy. I know people are going to think I'm nuts for saying that. In this day and age, it is not about learning in these secular institutions. It's about conformity of thought. That's what it is. So I'm just throwing that out there. That it's like, are you against education? No. Try a different way. <laughs> Study online. Stay in church in your local community. Grow. Amen. Wow. It is just, it's, it's, it's amazing the thinking that's going on in these universities. It is totally un-American. I'm just going to say it. It's un-American. Moving right along. Preach, Pastor Mike. I believe I will. <clears throat> You're not responding that good, so maybe, I don't know, maybe do some gymnastics up here. <clears throat> the founders believe that faith enabled a person to behave virtuously. Wow. Wow. George Washington said, our first president, that reason and experience both forbid us to expect that national morality can prevail in exclusion of religious principles. So the founders understood that virtue, faith of some sort, it requires faith of some sort. Benjamin Franklin said, if men, he writes this back then, I thought this was interesting, he said, if men are so wicked as we now see them, back then, men are so wicked as we now see them with religion. Come on now. How I many know, even as a, come on, as a believer, we can act and behave and, uh, all right, I mean, I'm the only one raising my hand on that way, amen. <clears throat> he said, as we now see them with religion, what would they be without it? I sure not want to live in this on this planet without 
God, amen, in the word of God and the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. So, so the question is, did the emphasis on religion mean that the framers were arguing for an official Christian America? And you know, there's a lot of teaching going on about, uh, you know, America's nationalism and, and that the, the, uh, was founded uh, on faith and faith principles as we see. But there's like an 800 pound gorilla in the room, which really wasn't spoken about back then. And it was assumed, and we kind of are a little perplexed today. Most Americans at the time of the revolution, they were either Christians or from a Christian background. That's a fact. I'm just saying that's a fact, not all of them, but Judea Christian background. <clears throat> and the progressives today, they ignore this or they dismiss it totally. Uh, that, that was, it's, you know, we've moved on to greater things. As one president said, America's not a Christian nation anymore. Well, America is a Christian nation. Okay? <clears throat> and so <clears throat> we know the First Amendment barred any official national establishment of religion, right? <clears throat> However, many of the framers, like President Eisenhower in the 1950s, he spoke of religion in generic rather than specific terms. And he said this, this is our President Eisenhower, religion at the very least was the sole force capable of fostering the virtue and restraining the vice necessary for the health of the republic. Wow. George Washington what he was concerned uh, <clears throat> uh, in his farewell address was not religious orthodoxy itself, but the eminently practical point that, he writes, true religion and good morals are the only solid foundations of public liberty and happiness. It was their church. It was the seed. Faith was integral at the foundation of this nation and a forming of our constitution. It's there. The framers were emphatic that the right of freedom and conscience, even for the atheist. So they said, well, there was atheists that even that time. There was a few of them. And, and they, they would substitute the word, you know, faith to conscience, having a conscience. But how many of you know that consciences can be seared? And so you can't just say, well, I feel this, well, I feel that. It could be, your conscience could be seared with sin and disobedience. Come on, somebody. And you may not, you can understand, you're doing things and living in a way that's totally contrary to the word of God. That's why when the children of Israel were rebuilding the temple, they broke through parts of the wall, the rubble, and, and, and the book of the law that was hidden for generations, it was hidden, fell out. And they began to read it and they began to cry. And Ezra and the scribes, and they stood all day and all night as they read and think, oh my gosh, how far has we fallen from the commands of the Lord? But this is the, the, the purposes of God and the morals of God and the morality is coming back here in America. Because God is raising up, you know, this really spoke to me in the, in the video that they had on The Chosen. And they had a lot of musicians singing, but there was a choir. It was like the children's choir. It was the kids' choir. How many saw that? I, you know, when I saw that, something got stirred in my spirit. Like, you know what? There's hope for America. You look at those kids, and they in all different nationalities, all different nations, and they were worshiping God, and they were praising God, and they had made up minds. You say, well, how do you know that? I don't know every single one of them, but I do know it was empowering to me. It was hopeful to me. It was like, that's what God wants for our country and our people in our society, in our city, in our region. Can I get an amen? <clears throat> so, uh, so, so the frame is they were emphatic that the right of freedom of conscience or religious liberty was an absolute and unconditional and a matter of equality for all. You know, the plain fact is, when I think about countries and then, you know, and this progressive push in our nation to eradicate God and build a country without God, the plain fact is that no free 
and lasting civilization anywhere in history has so far been built on atheistic foundations. Uh, hello, I've been to some of these countries, okay? And it, they're collapsed. The system's collapsed. You go in there and you look, everything is backwards. It doesn't make sense. Uh, I remember just, you know, in one country looking, how in the world did they do this plumbing? This makes no sense. I would have never done that, but, you know. Uh, how many know you take God out of the equation, you left up the human reasoning. Now, we can do some things and we can build some things in our own human strength, but with God... We can do all things. Amen. Hallelujah. Um, you know, just a side note here when I think about atheistic foundation. And back in the 1980s, the Chinese leadership studied the fall of the Soviet bloc when Russia and Ukraine and that collapsed. We had the opportunity, myself personally, I've been took 13 trips in 12 years to Ukraine and Russia, former USSR, preached the gospel, preached the gospel in public schools, passed out, you know, certain gifts to the kids during the class, there was a classroom we were into, had probably about 80 to 100 students. We were invited in. During school hours in Ukraine, I got up and preached the message of salvation, and every single kid stood up. So I told the kids, sit back down. Maybe you don't understand what I'm saying. And I preached again and did altar call. Every single kid stood back. Like Pete, the missionary, is like, I don't know if I'm getting across. He goes, they want Jesus. In the public school, I would be arrested if I walked into a public school today to preach Jesus. In America, this has got to turn around. This has got to turn around in Jesus' name. But the Chinese leadership, they studied the fall of the Soviet bloc. They studied very intensely. And they are very well aware of the role, both how the Catholic and the Protestant faith contributed to the collapse of communism in Eastern Europe. They know that. And so for, for sure, the Chinese communist, communist government, it fears the growth of Christianity. It does. Jesus said, the gates of hell will not prevail against my church. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> Amen. But here's the thing. Christianity is spreading. It is spreading in the underground church. Yes, that underground church is persecuted. But even in the state-sanctioned church, what they're doing is uh, they're, they have persecution. They're, many of the churches are forced to replace the cross with a statue of President Xi Jinping. Imagine that in the state-sanctioned churches. Under tremendous oppressive uh, uh, opposition uh, in that oppressive regime, they now estimate that anywhere from 38 million to 100 million, it's probably close to 100 million, today, Christians are in China right now. It's one point, was it 1.1, 1.2 billion something people in China, somewhere around there? I think India, or they're, they're, they're neck and neck India. And, and some, some, open, some of them say they're overly optimistic. Estimates see as many as 250 million Christians in China by 2030. Now, now I pray if that I pray it will be true. I pray, but that's less than ten years. Church, there will be more Christians in China than in America. And them Chinese, you know, <laughs> and them boats out there on the you know the West Coast, you know what's? Hey, God can overturn a nation, and, and we were the, the enemies of the cross think they got it. The kingdom of God is moving; it's spreading. It's growing. 
It seems like even in this church, you know, it's being built. People are, oh, wow, you're building a church building. Hey, listen, we've been plugging away for 20 years. We did church on the wheels. We set up and tore down. We, you know, and people were faithful. We didn't just spring up overnight. We've been here for a while. Amen. And that's just like the kingdom of God. It starts like a mustard seed. It's small. A mustard seed, if I held it up here and I just, my breath, it would blow. You wouldn't even be able to find that seed. That's how small it is. I mean, I actually looked at mustard seeds. You've got to be kidding. But it grows, and it continues to grow. That's just like the kingdom of God. Can you say amen? So, uh, Alec de Tocqueville, he said this. He came to, when he came to visit America, he quickly saw that it was indeed religion that worked hand-in-hand with American freedom. He said, he said, there was no country in the world where the Christian religion retains a greater influence over the souls of men than in America. Wow. In other words, he said there's an authority, but it stems from a voluntary, which is to say a free obedience to God rather than some forced obedience to any man or government or man. And so we're not advocating that, that as out of the free will, we choose Christ. The problem we're facing today is they want to eradicate the voice of the faith. They want to eradicate the voice of the Christian faith in particular and silence that voice. That's not going to happen. Amen? So virtue requires faith. It is a vital necessity. And that means what? That, that, that every person should be connected. I believe this, not just as a pastor. This is not a self-serving statement. But that we are to be connected to a local, vibrant church family. Let me tell you something. If you sit under somebody for 5, 10, 15, 18 years that maybe not even knows God, because there are some people in pulpits and that they don't even know God, and they, they, they don't even know about God, and, and, and then they're, you sit under that, that will affect your life. Okay, how they believe, and how, and I think COVID has even brought that to light, too. In, in many churches, sadly, it's just like, uh, then I begin to uh, dug in, and how many have ever seen the uh, Douglas County Historical Society? It's that building you drive by, but you never stop in. <laughs> Minnie Osterholt, she said this, uh, there's about a hundred uh, 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 small churches in the county. There's over 39,000 people in Douglas County. And there's a hundred churches. So I did the math. If everybody in the mid- midst of a tragedy woke up and go, oh my God, I got to get a hold of God. Where do you think the first place they're going to run to? Some will run to the bar. I know that. <clears throat> but they're going to run to church. And you say, well, how do you know that? It happened in 9-11. When 9-11 happened in New York City, I heard firsthand, because I was there, I went there six months later, and to some of those churches, he said, people broke the doors down. They broke, well, all they see is buildings collapsing, smoke everywhere, planes crashing in, we're under attack, what happened? Oh, we gotta wait. They ran, and they ran to the altar, and they began to scream. They began to cry. These were people. Now, I don't know, you know, they were believers, or how many I know, you know, (laughs) If you're not living right and you know you should be, how many of you know that is before you? And, you know, hey, listen, let's live as people right before God. Amen? So, you know, if and when disaster happens, we're ready. We're ready. Amen? 
but they ran into it. And, and I thought about that, about in the historical society and how many churches, the majority of the churches are very, very small. I used to live in a rural area, out in a home city, nice quaint area. And you see a lot of the small churches. And then when I was crazy and I did triathlons, I would run to, from one small church to another, seven miles. And uh, there's a, a, a real old one there, Oscar Lake Lutheran Church, and, and up on a high hill and and, but churches were within a mile or two from each other, very small, but they, that was churches that the people, and she writes about this, uh, uh, many, she says, the earliest settlers in this area, I'm not talking anywhere else, I'm talking about here, says this, he said, the earliest settlers to this area began planning uh, for a church home almost before their own houses were built. That was the mindset. How far have we fallen? And so what am I trying to say? I believe virtue, it requires faith. Faith uh, is a necessity for a healthy, free society. And then number three, very quickly, uh, faith requires freedom. Faith requires freedom. And uh, Tocqueville saw that religion and freedom were often enemies in France, but America, he found they were intimately united. Faith and freedom. Uh, since the pilgrims came to our shores in 1620, religious freedom and religious tolerance have been important factors in American life. <clears throat> so we see that the government uh, was to be impartial, we know, towards religion and various denominations. The government essentially, it basically says, yes, this is what our, our government should be, and it, it, it was founded on this, be religious. We, were not only, we will not only tolerate it, we will respect it, we will encourage it, but we cannot take sides or put our thumbs on the scales. But today, the understanding of this has been lost in America. It's changed, and there are people that are out there to undo that. Our founding fathers understood that freedom doesn't work without virtue and morality. You know, two weeks ago, sadly, a 15-year-old sophomore, Ethan Crumbly, he takes his dad's newly purchased 9 millimeter, and he walks into school and fatally shoots four students injuring seven at Oxford High School in Michigan, all seemingly without remorse. The Waukesha Christmas Parade, remember the attack where the Suburban drove? No, there was a man behind the Suburban, okay? Uh, Daryl Brooks, in a criminal record, was charged with intentional homicide after driving his red SUV through a crowded street commemorating the holiday season, claiming the lives of those from 8 to 81, Dancing ladies went out. They just drove through and killed them, injuring dozens more. What am I trying to say? Friends, our golden triangle of freedom is badly tarnished. In many ways, it's broken altogether. Here's the thing, and this, and this is why I am encouraged. I know I've said some sobering things here this morning, but I'm very encouraged in this season. For Church for the Harvest, we are in a prime position to help turn things around. For such a time as this, God has called you. He has raised you up. He has, he has brought you. He has led you here to this place to turn this around for our country. Stand with me if you would, please. <clears throat> How are we going to turn around? Well, for one thing, having a strong, vibrant, healthy local church that proclaims the truth. Can I get an amen? That's God's word, biblical teaching, preaching, worship, <clears throat> instilling God's moral laws into our children, letting them have and know that the word of God is true, that God exists. Once again, how else is society going to hear moral truth and instill moral values and, and, and standards? 
John Adams writes in a letter to his cousin, Zabel Adams, and he writes, the only foundation of a free constitution is pure virtue. And so we must ask ourselves, what world did Adams live in that he could say something like that without the need to explain it or qualify it? Here's the thing, church. Self-government cannot exist without virtuous leaders. And not only just leaders, but people. And I want to conclude with a sermon, not sharing it, but just, I have it right here. I actually printed off the sermon, 16 pages long. I read the whole sermon and parts of it twice. It was fascinating. There's a man named John Winthrop. He was 40 years, 41 years old. And he became the governor of the Massachusetts Bay Colony. He was very instrumental back in the 1630s of starting that after, 10 years after the pilgrims arrived. And so he was part of that pilgrim migration that came from England. So while he's on um, uh, the, the ship, uh, they call it the onboard Arabella, formerly called the Eagle. All he's on it, he pens this sermon. And it's actually the subtitle of my message here, A City Set on a Hill. But he calls it a model of Christian charity back in 1630. This is actual, a copy of the sermon. They have his original one in the New York Historical Society. And he talked about a city set on a hill at Matthew 5, 14. And he says, you are the light of the world. Talk about America, Americans. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. You know, there is no, I've traveled to over 10, 12 nations. There's no place like America. There's no country like America. I mean, even other nations that have a form of democracy, there is no country like America. In his sermon, he articulates a genuine covenant between the American people and God. And so in it, that there is a covenant a genuine covenant between the American people and God what a high standard that's pretty bold to say that it's very bold and here's the thing that, that there's a vision of, in America that we should be a nation that models charity that models love that models the kingdom of God wow he says in Romans 13 one love is the fulfillment of the law President John F. Kennedy repeated that call, and he even repeats what John Rinthrop writes. He says, we shall be a city upon a hill. The eyes of all the people are upon us. Then he concluded by quoting from the Gospel of Luke, of them to whom much is given, much will be required. I put another translation of Luke 12, 48. Maybe you could pull that up. It says this, if God has been generous with you, watch this, will expect you to serve him well but he doesn't leave it there he quantifies it but if he has been more than generous has God been more than generous to anybody in here come on he's been more than generous he will expect you to serve him even better every head bowed this morning if you would please friends we have been given a republic the true question is whether we do what is necessary to keep it. Well, for here and such a time as this, look no for further. I declare, yes, we will. Church for the Harvest is committed to serving the purpose of God in our generation. The last verse is Acts 13, 36. 
Now when David had served God's purpose in his own generation, he died and he was buried. I've shared this before recently to a group of leaders and, and I said this, there's nothing greater that can be said about your life. Not how you impacted the corporate world or you know, how many buildings you built or how many houses you've had, how many stuff you had, how big is your retirement account. The greatest thing, I believe, can be said about an individual is did you serve the purposes of God in your life? Because if you do, that is the greatest thing you could hear God say over your life. That I, I, there's nothing else greater that could be said. That is the same as saying, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter in to the joy of the Lord. Well, harvest is about you. Harvest is about the kingdom of God. Harvest is about you being able to serve God's purposes in your generation. Where God someday, how many know we're all going to face the Lord someday, will look at you, the creator of the heavens and the earth, and go, well done, thou good and faithful servant. You serve my purposes. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Every head bowed, if you would, please. We are called to be a city set on a hill. And let me just say something about this new building. This new building is not the end of harvest. This is the beginning. Did you hear that? It's the beginning of a new season. And I thought, the Lord told me that too, a number of years back. He said, when this building is built, know this is not the end. It's the end of maybe of a dream, but it's the beginning, God said, of my heart and my vision, what I want to do in the decades to come. Fisha Terry. We are called this season to be a city set on a hill. With every head bowed here this morning and say, Pastor, not right with God. I don't have that made up mind. I am wishy-washy in my faith. And just like illustration, when you talked about when 9-11 happened, people were scared and ran into the church. They weren't right with God or needed to get right or they're just fearful. <clears throat> that's, that's where I'm at. I'm not right. You know what the Bible says? You, 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 can, you, can have a, you can have a different future. The Bible says your name can be written in heaven. Your, the Bible says you could be born again. It's not confusing. It's very simple. And this is what Satan fights so much. For you to be a point in your life where you surrender your life. And you say yes to God and no to your flesh and no to the devil. Say, Pastor, I want to, but, but I struggle. Listen, when God's Spirit comes, like that mustard seed in your spirit, man or woman, that seed will grow. Will you stumble? Will you fall? Absolutely. But you have the ability to get back up and go because He put His seed of faith within you to give the ability to overcome. It's not by your own strength, but by His Spirit, man. That was one thing John Winthrop, he writes about in that. He said, the reason God loves us is because when He looks at us, He sees His nature in us. He puts His nature in us. And that's why He loves us. How many of you know when a, a mother gives birth to a child? Why is she so excited to love that child? Because it's part of her in that child. That's the heart of God for the believer. You can have that in your life right now. Maybe you're watching online. So what do I need to do? The Bible says repent and believe the good news. You say, Pastor, I'm ready for that. Pray with me as we pray corporately. Say this to me. Say, Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for my sin. Jesus, come into my life. Save me. Fill me with your spirit. 
Jesus, I give you my life. Now take it. Jesus, be Lord of my life. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen. Friends, if you meant that, you are now able to serve God's purposes in your life. And you can be faithful to the end. Amen. Amen. I want to invite all the workers. Uh, these are, are, are prayed up people. They're here for you. If you may need some prayer, uh, they are here to take your cue, to lay hands on you, pray the prayer of agreement or something else that may be going on. And maybe you just want uh, help in your journey of faith. Uh, we have information how we can help you here, help disciple you. I'm so encouraged about how many came out for the small life groups and, and churches as, as, as things progress and we move towards moving into our new building. Uh, God is, is, is awakening even the church members to step up to lead. Did you hear that? Many of you are going to be in positions where you'll be praying and ministering and loving on people and helping people that are going to be coming. Some of them right now, they're in horrible relationships. They're not safe. They're in the bars right now. They're going through divorces right now. But God is going to reach their heart. And they're going to come into the kingdom. And you're going to minister to them. And many of them, you know. You know right now. You've been praying. You think, will they ever come? I've been praying for years. Yes. Yes, they're coming for such a time as this. Let me bless you. Father, we thank you. I bless the people of God, all those watching online, their attentiveness here this morning. Lord, we thank you for this, this series. Lord, you've called us in this season. A city set on a hill, not to be hidden, not to be hidden away. And Lord, you're beginning to shine and exalt, Lord, even this church. And we recognize, Lord, it's not anything in and of ourselves, but it's because you have determined in this season and you've called us faithful. So, Lord, we humbly ask for your continued wisdom. We ask for your strength. We thank you for godly leaders. We thank you that you've added to this church, Father, that we would be stronger. And we just declare the gates of hell will not prevail against our nation. The gates of hell will not prevail over our country, over our city, what's happening in our institutions, in the colleges. Lord, we pray for godly leaders to be raised up, spiritual men and women to lead this country in righteousness. We ask this in Jesus' mighty name. All God's people said, Amen, Amen.